0: Welcome to Medication Talk, the official podcast of TRC Healthcare, home of Pharmacist's Letter, Prescriber's Letter, Rx Advanced, and the most trusted clinical resources. On today's episode, we'll be listening in as our expert panel discusses how to identify the risk of a true penicillin allergy and when to worry about cross reactivity. Our guest today is Dr. Deanna McDaniel from the University of Iowa Healthcare and College of Pharmacy. You'll also hear practical advice from panelists on TRC's editorial advisory board. Dr. Stephen Carrick from the USC School of Medicine, Greenville, Dr. Anthony Donato from the Reading Health System, Dr. Douglas Powell from the University of Washington School of Medicine, and Dr. Craig Williams from the Oregon Health and Science University. This podcast is an extract from TRC's Emerging Recommendations panel webinar. Each month, experts and frontline providers discuss current medication therapy topics and practical recommendations to include in TRC's letter articles. The full webinar originally aired on April 18, 2023.
1: And now, the CE information.
0: Pharmacist Letter offers CE credit for this podcast. Please log into your Pharmacist Letter account and look for the title of this podcast in the list of available CE courses. None of the speakers have anything to disclose. Now, let's join TRC editor, Dr. Lori Dickerson and start our discussion we're talking about this now because you're in a key spot to identify
2: the risks of a true penicillin allergy and when to worry about cross-reactivity. And so Deanna, to get us started, um, we start our article off with a statistic that about 10% of the population reports a history of reacting to penicillin, but less than 1% of them are truly allergic. Can you comment on this statistic and if these are the percentages that you consider when you're discussing penicillin reactions?
3: Yeah, this is a, you know, a well-known statistic and something that we certainly, I, you know, I talk about with almost every single patient that comes into the clinic. And, and frankly, they all, they all um, seem very shocked by this, by this, especially as we know, and we'll talk about a little later, but there is a time decay that we know can happen with penicillin Mm -hmm. allergies. Uh, But yeah, we do know that definitely probably less than 1% of the population have a true allergic reaction to penicillin.
2: Okay, good to get that sort of groundwork laid. And stepping to the next question, of course, we know it's important to accurately document penicillin allergies, but let's um, just sort of talk through some of the downstream effects of inaccurate documentation of penicillin allergies. What are your thoughts um, on, on this point?
3: Yeah, Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately, we do see a lot of patients with the label. And when I call it the label is ultimately, is are they truly allergic? And really, it does have personal and public health implications. Specifically, as a personal health implication, you know, patients are going to have less or fewer efficacious antibiotic choices, more toxic effects associated with using the broader spectrum antibiotics. And then ultimately, there's been shown to have more postoperative surgical site infections by not using the First line um, surgical prophylaxis. For a public health standpoint, you know, ultimately we could lead to using those broader spectrum antibiotics and al- and antibiotic resistance, as well as it's been shown to have higher rates of um, C. difficile by using, again, those broader spectrum or alternate antibiotics and more costly um, costs to the institution and to the patient, as well as just increased risk of, or length of hospital stay. So there's a lot of reasons we absolutely should, you know, identify Mm -hmm. if the label is true.
2: You know, uh, great points there, and specifically I'm glad that you brought up some of the hospital-specific complications. We do have um, uh, a hospital-specific version of this letter, and we do um, comment on surgical site infections and um, C. diff, et cetera, and length of hospital stay. We have an audience question coming in, and they're wondering, you know, has that been prospectively studied? Is that more of a link, or is there a direct relationship there between, uh, you know, uh, non preferred antibiotic due to a penicillin allergy and and some of these downstream effects. What are your thoughts on sort of that body of literature, Diana?
3: Yeah, I mean, what I've seen is it's been mostly retrospective or causality studies, um, but but certainly has shown to there has been a statistically increased risk of those effects. So, you know, I, I would say that we uh, generally do think of that as a concern mm-hmm. when we are, you know, looking at our inpatients and determining whether or not great. they should get the penicillin awesome. or the beta-lactam.
2: Well, great overview there, and um, I'm going to... Uh, uh, go straight to our next audience question that's coming in which is uh, not currently part of our article but we are get, seeing a lot of chatter about patients not really knowing much about their drug allergies um, and the documentation of these being pretty poor in the electronic health record and so Doug i just wondering from you what's your experience been with you know seeing allergy documentation either in the record or from the patient and trying to tease that out is that a, how challenging is that
4: it is. I mean, the problem is it's a, you know, we'll say it's an allergy and there's no description of what it is. And as as you allude to, the patients don't often really remember what it is. I, you know, I've I've had patients where they say they have penicillin allergy and ask, well, how do you know? Well, my mom told me, well, what did she, you know, well, she just said I should never have penicillin. And then, you know, well, it was either me or my brother and, and, and it, she just told us both. And so, um, yeah, I think Getting an accurate description, and then I think this will be discussed probably is when people don't have accurate descriptions. It's a long time ago that that we really should back away from our the the incredible fear we have of of confronting this.
1: So the way this works on EMRs, you can often enter adverse reaction problems as opposed to allergy or hypersensitivity problems, and not all EMRs handle that well. But yeah, documenting what it was because when we ask the patients sometimes we get answers like it gave me a headache or I got stomach upset or you know adverse, clearly non-hypersensitivity reactions. And we mm. can clarify that in the MR, that goes a long way for the next provider. It's not really an allergy to patient. Right. on it
2: for some reason. Right. And so definitely, when you hear that, it's an opportunity to delabel penicillin allergies, and uh, we do want to talk about delabeling. and Deanna, this is kind of a new term for yeah. probably a, a lot of folks, um, and it was new to me when we were picking this piece up. Um, can you comment on this practice and how widespread it is, and, uh, of course, uh, the push behind that being with respect to antimicrobial stewardship?
3: Yeah, I mean, our we have definitely gone down the route of a, a lot of delabeling in our clinic, but it is, we are working in a drug allergy practice. So, you know, certainly as we evaluate patients, we feel very confident after the evaluation, whether it be skin testing or by and large, now we're doing most mostly drug challenges that we feel very confident to delabel allergies. However, I think in most practices, if you get a really good history, frankly, you might be able to de- delabel patients just simply based on history alone. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, as I know it was discussed here just moments ago, is most EMRs unfortunately don't sometimes have those adverse reaction buckets. And our health system is a large health system and only still has just the allergy bucket. And it's really frustrating. Um, but we do try to just at least put descriptions into the EMR if we, um, you know, again, if I'm working in a non-allergy setting, just making sure they there's full description of what their allergy is. So, um, and then maybe putting a priority as a lower priority. and and delabeling to like not high priority or lower priority.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. Allergy. Well, let's um, talk through the specifics of penicillin allergies for next. And we start with gathering details is uh, the first underline in the article and to document the specific med, the reaction, and how it was managed at home. And so um, can you talk us through, Deanna, how you ask these questions in Mm -hmm. your clinic?
3: Yeah, so absolutely. Definitely figuring out exactly what medication it was. Um, Most commonly, you'll have even just something on the list that says penicillins, but you find out it was actually Augmentin or Amoxicillin that the patient took. So it's important to understand exactly what penicillin or cephalosporin they reacted to. The most important for us is how long ago was this? You know, uh, most of our allergies we're finding from patients are many years ago, more than 10 years plus or more. Yes, the other day on Monday, I had um, uh, more patient with 50 years of history. So I'd been on the chart since childhood. Uh, So just getting in the timeline. And then really more importantly is just how long into the course of antibiotics did the reaction happen. So was it immediate within hours, uh, you know, out to six hours or was it days removed? Uh, Because that will really help you determine if it was likely a delayed reaction or immediate reaction. And then also I don't trust when patients say that they developed hives or even a rash because ultimately Ultimately, a rash to one patient may actually be hives or hives to a patient may actually be a rash. And so I actually show pictures of what a typical macular papular morbilliform eruption looks like or what a hives looks like for patients if they're not certain um, on what that was. So... And then, of course, just determining if there's any other severe symptoms like blistering of skin, skin peeling, um, or signs of anaphylaxis that's going to be extremely important uh, and then lastly is just yeah, how did they treat that reaction and and simply have they taken that medication since? you uh, believe it or not, we do have a lot of patients where they have a penicillin allergy label, but they've tolerated amoxicillin in the last five years, for example and and so that alone is an easy to label so mm-hmm. Got it. Very good. Okay, Andy, uh, from you next, I wanted to have you walk us
2: through the signs and symptoms that you're looking for when evaluating the patient's penicillin allergy history. I think you've given us some great feedback on that when you reviewed this piece. What what are your thoughts on specific things that you're asking about symptom-wise, signs and symptom-wise?
5: Yeah, I think a lot of this has been covered, but um, open-ended questions. Uh, What was the drug and what specifically happened to you? Um, I like to know just how sick they are. uh, They were, did you end up in the hospital? Did you end up with an airway problem are all really scary stuff. Um, Did you end up in a burn unit? Did you have a horrible rash kind of stuff are all things that would make me go, yeah, this sounds really, really serious. But I would say for the most part, I think we heard it. It's, I don't know, my mom told me. Maybe that was Mickey, maybe that was me. You know, it's, it's, okay. it's, you, this, the histories are, are pretty poor. And remember that uh, we're talking about carrying forward uh, records. Um, my EMR is all of 18 years old. And before that it was paper and you can't even find stuff. So it's really the memory of the patient or their parents and it's, it can be pretty poor.
1: I just add real quick, Lori, yes. while well, you have this paragraph on your screen, too, is um, like Dan alluded to, that, you know, also ask and look for documentation of other antibiotics, because when we can find it in the you know, EMR, especially in our hospitalized patients, they often don't know what they get during the course of a, you know, one or two week hospitalization, but yeah, when we can find those big like, times given, that's a huge piece of making us feel
2: comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, our hospital version of this article has a great line that I love that says, lean on your EHR if patients aren't sure what they've tolerated in the past. And so, you know, that's a, a great, great cue that you guys have brought up. So very good. All right, so Deanna, let's talk about um, assessing risk in terms of reaction severity um, and IgE-mediated versus uh, not IgE-mediated uh, allergic reactions. Can you um, explain this for us and, and let us know if you agree with the wording that we have uh, here in our in our article
3: yeah, so IgE-mediated, we know probably are going to happen likely within the first out, first few hours. You know, it's been cited mostly as 30 minutes to two hours. However, the most recent drug allergy practice parameter did did comment on an immediate reaction out to six hours. And and I definitely agree that we have seen some patients with those more delayed, but still can be severe anaphylactic type reactions six hours later. Um, you know, I also don't trust 100% when patients say... Um, it's been within the first day of taking it, especially if it was 20 or 30 years ago, They their recollection of time may be off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I still take a little bit more serious if it was, if it, especially if it sounded like IgE mediated reaction, but anything beyond that is likely not that. Um, you know, and and probably is more in that we're getting into the point of delayed reactions. And delayed reactions can be typically more than 72 hours after the first dose of the course. Um, And then some of the more severe um, cutaneous, so scarce, severe cutaneous allergic reactions like Stevens, Johnson, and whatnot can be up to even weeks. Uh, So it's important to really get those histories on patients and identify the timeline. Mm-hmm.
2: And we have actually next in, in the article after this point is the one that we've already talked about that 80% of patients with an IgE reaction won't react after 10 years since IgE antibodies decrease over time. And uh, Deanna, we did talk about there are sort of two sets of statistics that are out there, the five year and the and 10 year statistics. So generally speaking, you're, these, these are
3: the mantras that you would follow. Absolutely. And, and you know, used to be that, to be honest, in our practice, we probably were a little more conservative that we wanted to, uh, we would probably skin test patients if it was less than 10 years. But I think now we do know that 50% of people can outgrow within five years, which gives us a little more comforting even challenging patients directly with the medication and, and again, in the clinical setting when we can observe them. Um, but yes, these statistics, I probably say at least five to six times a day in my clinic. So. <laughs>
2: Very good. All right, so now let's um, move on to the categories of high versus moderate versus low risk patients. Um, And so uh, in our risk stratification, again, we've used these terms. And to start, Deanna, what would you consider to be a high risk patient?
3: Yeah, and you know this is something that is harder to define uh, in the and even in our drug allergy practice parameter in the drug allergy world the, the question always is is how do you define high versus moderate versus low? Um, generally speaking, this is exactly how I would word it. High risk would be those that definitely had anaphylaxis or anaphylactic shock, or those severe, more delayed cutaneous allergic reactions. So, otherwise known as scar, and that can be Stevens Johnson syndrome. Um, acute generalized uh, um, erythematous postulosis or AGEP or DRESS, which is, you know, drug reaction Mm -hmm. with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms. So those are going to be more your very high-risk patients or high-risk. There's also something in practice that we've started to utilize, and it's from uh, Trubiano and colleagues. Um, It's called the PENFAST score, Uh, and I don't don't think we referred to it necessarily in this article, but it is something that if people want to go out and look for, um, and it's really kind of a quick scoring tool and essentially it gives you have five point max and it's all based on time, um, five, less than five years, if they had an- anaphylaxis or angioedema or the, a scar reaction and did they require treatment for the reaction. And based on that, the higher the points, so five or four or five points would be high risk. And then anything in the one or two points is considered low risk. The other thing, and I know we had this in the article, but low risk, I would agree, are just kind of more just those patients where it was longer ago, it was maybe just related to hives or maybe even a rash. Those would be considered on non-severe, non-anaphylactic and low-risk allergies.
2: And then our moderate risk people are sort of the ones in the middle, right? Yeah, in the middle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One that's immediate, such as hives, um, uh, but uh, of course non-anaphylactic. So yeah. so Craig, just to hear from you too, are these sort of the ways that you would bucket, you, bucket these patients?
1: Yeah, no, I think the main, that's, Severe skin reactions and anaphylaxis are the two and I think um, I think one of Deanna's points I'm not sure everybody got it. Did they seek treatment treatments for the reaction? I think is a great question for us to know from the patient and kind of goes to the open-ended questions that Andy and Doug were talking mm-hmm. about earlier so if they did not need treatment for whatever they thought they had whether it was itchiness or what they thought was a rash um, that's we feel pretty safe compared to yeah. I had to go to the hospital or I had to see urgent care, and that sets off the alarm bells. And I don't know if I think about moderate. I can think there's high risk, and then there's pretty much everyone else. So we mm-hmm. can leave moderate in, but I don't know if we really think about like a third category of yeah, moderate it. versus mild. But you
2: know. Okay. Okay. And um, Doug, just to hear from you, uh, is this sort of the approach that you're taking with your patients? And uh, who do you typically? What are you mostly seeing in your, in your clinic? I would guess they're mostly low risk patients.
4: Yeah, I mean with with these vague past histories and I you know I have a very low threshold of 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 if I think the antibiotics appropriate antibiotic challenging them um mm-hmm. with these histories of you know more than ten years ago, twenty, thirty years ago and and then, you know, and I know this might be discussed, but I'll you know I'll sometimes have patients take a dose just for their own own comfort level and stick around a little bit, uh because most of these are, you know, my experience, I really haven't had anything bad happen with these vague type of histories. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, then let's um, get into sort of evaluating our options. And one thing I want to uh, reiterate, there have been some questions coming up To This article is really focusing on patients with a history of penicillin allergy and not folks with a history of a cephalosporin allergy, which is a, a, diff- a different uh, scenario. And we, um, you know, have that covered in our clinical resource chart but in in the discussion today we're going to be focusing on penicillin allergies and so Deanna to get us kicked off with evaluating our options we say for high-risk patients with severe delayed reactions avoid all beta lactams and prescribe an alternative antibiotic class and uh, what are your thoughts on this statement?
3: yeah I think with uh, delayed reactions we we you know we're really thinking about those high risks so Stevens Johnson and i you know if we've ever seen that in practice, it's hopefully it's not something you see very often it might be one in a career um and I, I definitely have had just a couple of patients in my history of doing this for 20 years that we've questioned if it was Stevens Johnson in the outpatient world, um, not seeing them on the inpatient side. But, you know, in those aspects, we not, we're not certain if it's drug-specific or class. And, and the data is still questionable on that, but to be honest, it's probably safest to just avoid all beta-lactams or especially all penicillins in that case if it's a penicillin that caused it because you never want to induce a severe mm-hmm. delayed reaction again mm-hmm. in a patient. And so often we'll just recommend alternates at that point.
2: And um, a question coming in with this definition of high risk patients with delayed reactions. Um, with the high risk patients here are not we're not including folks who've had anaphylaxis. That's a different bucket of folks, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. So
3: I would yeah. not include the anaphylactic immediate reactions. It's more right. these what we consider a scar or the severe yep. cutaneous yep. allergic yep. reactions. So yeah okay. age up. Russ and yep. Stevens Johnson.
2: Might be clearer to just sort of say for those with severe de- delayed reactions and get mm-hmm. the high risk out because I think some people do uh, uh, equate high risk with
3: anaphylaxis. So that's something. I agree. That yeah. That that's yep, a clarifying point.
2: Okay. So um, we then, of course. Um, Make our next point, which would be to assess cross reactivity and uh, only about two percent of patients with a true penicillin allergy cross react to cephalosporins and that 's something that you know we've all learned in pharmacy school and and medical school and et cetera and so um I guess to talk a little bit more about this Deanna and um you know the cross reactivity and and um what options can be used in, in these patients, uh, who do have a penicillin allergy? Can you comment on that?
3: Yeah. So this is really a game changer and really the paradigm has been shifting over the last maybe decade or so of practice. I know we, um, my, my, my drug allergy clinic started just due to patients being referred to whether they could get cefazolin, for example, mm-hmm. with a penicillin allergy. And now we know that that myth has been bunked, or debunked, mm-hmm. this, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and absolutely, and even the practice parameter now fully supports that um, is give cefazolin regardless of their history, even if it's anaphylaxis. Uh, so that's because ultimately what it gets down to is the sharing of an R1 side chain. Yes. Uh, and so I know there, there was discussion about putting in and maybe in the supplementary as a table of what those R1 side chains are. And I think um, it's good to always look at that. And I think that might be coming up here. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just really the R1 side chain is the primary target now, or what we know is the the antigenic responses are to that versus the core beta lactam structure. So that two percent or less is is well known it's probably even frankly less than that um and so it but you know ultimately, if they do share in our one side chain that that risk is higher that they could have a cross reactive reaction um but the yeah the parameter really the the drug allergy parameter is very good and goes through kind of the recommendations but you know some game changers now is uh, if you're a non anaphylactic history um, and you have a penicillin non anaphylactic history, you just give the cephalosporin um, so that has been really a big a big change um, now if it is an anaphylactic history, you would probably want to recommend um, you know, doing penicillin-guided skin testing or challenges depending on the risk, how long ago the anaflex has mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. before you would prescribe that cephalosporin with the same R1 side chain. Again, okay. if it's a dissimilar side chain though, just give it. Right. Um, and that is a practice change. So I think that's something that we're um, probably in our practices gonna still feel a little uncomfortable with, but um, certainly should feel with the guidance of the, you know, of the, of the experts in the parameter to kind of vacuum that that's okay to do it. If it's like mm-hmm. a structurally dissimilar um, cephalosporin, just give it.
2: Okay, so lots of great information there. Some Medchem for everybody that can can uh, get everybody uh, uh, flashbacks to to being in the classroom. <laughs> uh, and so we did not include the R group side chains in the article that you see in front of you. It is included in our in our hospital our, uh, hospital pharmacist letter, and it's also in our clinical resource. And so uh, more specifics about the um, R chains are there. But for a patient with a history of anaphylaxis, we say advise you. Using a cephalosporin with a lower cross-reactivity risk, such as cefuroxime, and we chose cefuroxime here as an example of, uh, you know, one that um, did not that was dissimilar and yes. uh, would be a, a go-to. And so, just wanted to confirm with you, Deanna, that that would be a go-to that you would consider.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be a reasonable one because it does not generally share the same R1 side chain to um, most to penicillin. So.
2: Mm-hmm. And then um, we also have a table with, you know, selected meds with dissimilar R1 side chains to amoxicillin. And so just to ask you here, Deanna, if there are others that, you know, you would want to comment on that would be appropriate for use too, or is this a list that you uh, would, would, would recommend?
3: Yeah. So looking at this list, it looks, yeah, that would all be medications again. And the Vaseline, again, as I highlight, is one that you should use regardless just because it does not have, um, its structure is so unique. It does not actually have an R1 side chain. So just use it. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
4: But yes, this
3: is like a good list for you to kind of back up back to if you um have an allergy to amoxicillin. Mm-hmm. Again, an anaphylactic allergy to amoxicillin are concerned mm-hmm. about prescribing a cephalosporin.
2: And then for our uh, hospital pharmacist letter, we would say if someone has a history of anaphylaxis to a penicillin, you'd use a cephalosporin uh, a d- with a dissimilar um, chain, right? To simil- yep. Dissimilar our chain. Dissimilar okay, very good. Dissimilar, chains. yes. yes yes very good okay um i'm gonna come back to you craig uh, lots of stuff we've talked about here i know this is something that you've been involved in with year at your institution too is this consistent with your approach also it
1: is yeah it's uh, i mean i have some sympathy and empathy for my colleagues on the outpatient side I really think it's tougher you know being on the hospital mm-hmm. side it's a bit easier for us to uh, give the greater challenges and uh, knowing we have the backup if we need it for those with an do occasionally transfer them to the ICU and go ahead and do the greater challenge. It's obviously not an option outside the hospital, but, but just in general, you know, do this at the hospital gives us a comfort level. Um, mm-hmm. The only point I might uh, local education is that while these kind of anaphylactic or acute reactions can occur up to six hours out, the, so many of them are I don't know what percent occur beyond even an hour, but it's very small. So our graded challenge is you give a dose, wait 15 minutes. Have a higher dose with another 15 minutes and then you're on to full dosing. So so generally pretty rapid progression. Um,
0: Got it. But yeah,
1: it's, it's a privilege to be able to do the inpatient side versus the outpatient side.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and Craig, I might just touch on that real quick too. And yes, in the please. outpatient world, in, in a drug allergy clinic again, or even, um, providers offices, if you're comfortable doing this, you know, our, our rule of thumb is give, give the dose again, if it's in that lower risk or moderate risk group, um, even anaphylaxis, if it's more than, you know, five or 10 years ago, you could really do this, but um, is just give, give the dose, give a full dose as we don't even do graded challenges very much in in our practice. We'll just give the full dose. And we often use amoxicillin just because that clears them not only from a penicillin allergy, but an amino penicillin allergy. Um, and then we'll watch them an hour. Now the the parameter says 30 minutes or longer and I think it's just comfort. Um, But yeah, like you said, most of those reactions are gonna happen pretty quick. So usually an hour is sufficient time to feel comfortable delabeling the allergy if they tolerate.
5: Um, Dr. Bedano, this is Andy Donato. Um, uh, what would you want those outpatient doctors to have on site in case there's a reaction? Do you recommend? Yeah, Epipan? that's a great
3: point. Yes, absolutely. You should still have full full precautions on hand. You know, luckily in our practice we've had very few patients that, in the thousands we've done this and that have had anaphylaxis. Um, but probably it's good to have a full anaphylaxis kit in the event that you do have one, you know, have that happen to you. Okay. Very good, great discussion. And I guess
2: to, to tie it, we have a lot of audience questions coming in that are hospital specific I want to get to, but to close out the article, uh, we do make the recommendation to refer high risk patients or anyone hesitant to take a beta lactam after a prior reaction to allergy for evaluation. And so um, Stephen and Doug, I wanted to hear from you about uh, you know the practicality of these referrals in your practice. This is something that you're, you're doing at this point, Stephen.
1: Yeah, try to do as much as we can, especially for patients that we think it's going to be a really a benefit for them, like patients who are trying to treat for syphilis or have had, mm-hmm. um, maybe they've had UTIs or something that can help, you know, antibiotics that maybe you know, have more adverse side effect profiles, like fluoroquinolones for that. And trying to get them out, immunologists is mostly pretty quick. Um, I'd say, you know, most communities have more primary doctors and they do allergists and probably a ton of patients have this sort of mislabeling of of, of uh, penicillin uh, allergy on their charts and just trying to negotiate with them, saying this is something that be important, could be benefit for you, um, trying to introduce some of the public health ramifications of it as well. And this is something that we just are trying to change the, the sort of current paradigm um,
4: can help sort of convince the patient that this may be something good for them.
2: Very good. And, and uh, Doug, what has your experience been?
4: Yeah. The two groups I do it's the highest high risk the patients with you know anaphylaxis that that I really I really and and I think you teed it up at the beginning some of the risks of choosing other antibiotics that are higher risk in reality to the patient than than, than exposing them to a penicillin and certainly cephalosporins are okay and people but the the group is the person who has had really really high high risk or the person that I have tried to convince them and and you know, I've wanted to re-challenge them and they just say, No, absolutely not. Then I will uh-huh. offer them, Do you want to see a specialist who can test you and work with you? And and some of them will accept that, but some of my patients just absolutely this has been drilled into them. They refuse to take a penicillin. Right, right.
3: We for see sure. that as well in yes. practice. Yeah.
4: I'm sure, Taylor, we've some listeners who say, I'd have to have an earth to get my patient on allergies
1: in the next six months. Um, there's places right. where that's uh, just not a reality. So that's I think you problem. give them lots the of great points for people to feel like they can you know, take some of this on mm-hmm. themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. A couple of rapid fire questions for you, Deanna, we, for our hospital version. Uh, one that has come in is, can patients with a history of anaphylaxis to a penicillin get a carbapenem if broad, broader antibiotic
3: coverage is needed? What are your thoughts on that point? A- absolutely. Regardless of their reaction to penicillin, similar to cefazolin, just give the carbapenem. Um, same thing with astrianam. I think the only, the only caveat to that, not a penicillin allergy to astrianam, but if you have a ceftazidine allergy, they do... Um, as Trionam and, and ceftazidime do share a similar R1 side chain. So again, it gets at that higher risk of cross-reactivity with those mm-hmm. patients specifically. But otherwise, just, just the guidance is just give it.
2: Very good. Well, this has been a really great discussion. Uh, panelists, thank you guys so much for all of your feedback and practical tips. Please do check out our new clinical resource, Managing Beta-Lactam Allergies, for detailed answers to many questions, including types of hypersensitive reactions, The role of skin testing, desensitization, and drug challenges,
0: and so much more. We hope you enjoyed and gained practical insights from listening into this discussion. Now that you've listened, you can receive CE credit from Pharmacist Letter. Just log into your Pharmacist Letter account and look for the title of this podcast in the list of available CE courses. If you're not yet a Pharmacist Letter subscriber, find out more about our product offerings at trchealthcare.com. Be sure to follow or subscribe, rate, and review this show in your favorite podcast app. It helps spread the word about our show and is a great way for you to let us know how we're doing. You can also reach out to provide feedback or make suggestions by emailing us at contactus at trchealthcare.com. Thanks for listening to Medication Talk.